0: you are listening to a message brought to you by christian life church Lempster. to find out more about us go to www.clch.cc so i hope this morning what i bring will encourage you will embolden you will give you passion and hopefully you'll share some of with you. so i am from attleborough my lovely wife here is paige uh, we, we live in a very small town, very similar to Leinster, and we, our church was very similar to this. It was a church plant around 17 years ago, just a few families joining together to worship Jesus and try and bring the name of Jesus Christ and the hope he carries into the town of Attebra. And so the guy who started leading it is called Rob Tavet, and I asked he's a good friend of mine, Rob, I'm going over to a wonderful group of Christians in Leinster. What would you want to say to them if they're a church plant? What advice would you give them from your point of view as a child? And he's got two points for you. He said prophetic foundation. So the first encouragement is, are you built on a prophetic foundation? Do you know Jesus has called you to this place? The voice of God when he speaks is true, is clear, and it is grounding. So when the waves of life come, you can know God has called you here. You have a prophetic foundation in this place, in Attleboro, for years past. And the next point he said was evangelistic foundation. Make sure you're sharing the name of Jesus to everyone you can, whenever you can. And if you've got the prophetic foundation, if you've got the evangelistic foundation, you can faithfully plod, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter what season the church is in, no matter what wave the culture throws at you next, you can faithfully plod and you can know Jesus will build his church because the promises, the gates of hell will not prevail. And then Rob said to me, but Benny, I've got one more encouragement I'd like you to share with them in Leinster. He said, Leinster Church, if you could look up to the sky and you could see the spiritual realms, you would be so encouraged because you have already won so much in heaven. And then when we could see what heaven is like, the spiritual realms, the battles you've already won, you would be so encouraged. So this morning, lift your eyes up See the victory has already been won for you, the ground you have already taken, the seeds you've already sown, and believe that the harvest is coming 30 times, 60 times, or 100 times. What was planted? Amen? Okay, amazing. So I am going to be looking at the book of James this morning. James chapter 2, if you want to turn there, from James chapter 2, 14 to 26. And. What we know about James chapter 2, I want to give you a little bit of a context. The guy who wrote this book is the brother of Jesus, okay? He, um, he's passionate about people worshipping Jesus, loving Jesus, living life for Jesus. He's passionate about people not being caught up by culture and therefore dropping the authority of God. In the first verse in the letter of James, he's writing to Christians who have been dispersed into the world. And as you read the letter, you realise they're living in a culture. It's tempting them to stop living for Jesus. The culture is telling them to give up quickly. It's telling them, don't be steadfast in your faith. It's tempting them not to trust the Bible as their authority. It's tempting them to judge the poor and give favour to the rich. Culture is tempting them to look like they have faith, but don't display your faith. It's tempting them to say whatever you want without consequence whenever you need to. But James finishes in chapter one, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In the remaining four chapters, James looks at showing us what it means for the people of God to be holy and for the people of God to be unstained by this world. I don't know if you've read the book of James before, but sometimes it can feel as if James is really harsh for the church. It can feel like he's giving you a bit of a sucker punch. It can feel like he's having a little bit of a boxing match, the church on one side, him on the other side, and he's trying to give you a cheeky right hook. And it can be really harsh. Some of the things he says, you go, wow, that shouldn't be written in the Bible, it's the holy book of God. But when you start to understand, what is James doing here? It's actually as if James is looking at culture in the face. And what he's really doing is giving the right hook to culture. To make sure culture does not creep its way into the church to remove the authority of God. Maybe this morning we need a cheeky right hook from James to wake us up from the daze to realise culture is creeping in at the door to stop us from worshipping the authority of Jesus Christ. His Bible is true. His Bible is the authority. He is the authority. James is saying, build your life on the authority of Jesus Christ. So I believe we need some of his right hooks. I believe we're in a cultural moment in this nation at this time that we need to make sure the church is holy, the church is pure, and the church is undefiled. That we may be unstained and a holy, attractive people. That is the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Amen? So let's read James fourteen. Two twenty six. Let me just open up in the Bible. Get rid of that little thing. Okay. NIV. It may be a little bit different up on the screen to what I'm going to read to you, but it will be very similar. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he is faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says to you, says to them, "Go in peace." You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab a prostitute justified by works when she received them from the messengers and sent them by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Our heavenly Father, thank you for your word, thank you for your authority. We submit to you this morning, your humble church, that you would speak to us, grow us, challenge us, and help us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, I was once, I like reading some books. I don't know about you, if you're a bit of a reader, but I was once reading a story about a house church leader in China. And he was awoken in the middle of the night by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was telling him to gather all of the fruit, all of the vegetables, all of the meat, stick it on their um, sled, and travel out into the frozen tundra where he would find a dying church leader who is in need of food. The man in this moment, the church leader, reminded the Holy Spirit, reminded God, mate, it's like minus 30 degrees outside. If I go out, I am going to die. I will freeze to death. If I don't freeze to death, the wolves are gonna eat all the food and then they will eat me. How on earth can I go? And he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, "You simply have to go. You do not have to come back. It's safe to say, since reading that story, I wear earplugs at night, just to keep myself protected from that. But it's often a challenge, isn't it? What would your response be if the Holy Spirit told you in that situation? The story was found in a book called Insanity of Obedience by Nick Ripkin, who was invited to a Chinese house church, and he was invited to the leader's house, and he went over there, and they began discussing the amount of people that have been saved in China. And the church leader, um, and Nick was saying, I know this, it's, it's a staggering amount, isn't it? We, we speak about it, the, the work that God is doing over there, and we quote these insane numbers of, of testimonies of God transforming lives. And he offered this figure to the Chinese house church leader. And the church leader responded to Nick and said, do you mind if I give you a, a different figure, a different view of it? He said, in China, we would view around one third of the number you have said to be genuine believers. We know a genuine believer because they have been transformed by God, and they've been involved in seeing others transformed too. And this is like what James is saying to us today. Your job is not just to believe and be transformed. It is to believe and be transformed so that you can see other people believe and be transformed. That is what James is asking of us today. But not everyone in history has agreed on this passage uh, the, the reformist Martin Luther, we, we know about him, he actually tried to take James out of the Bible. He didn't quite have the backbone to remove it fully, so he placed it as an appendix at the back of the Bible when he rewrote the Bible. He didn't think it had any authority. He didn't think it was biblical, didn't think it was right. And some of you may read James and realise, you know what, he's, he may actually be right. James only has two mentions of Jesus. Most of it is about how we act or work, which seems radically different to the writings in the Bible of Paul, who wrote 13 letters. And the battle between James and Paul has been summed up as this, faith versus works. We've heard that haven't we? I'm sure we have throughout church. It's an age old battle, isn't it? So let's understand this battle between James and Paul. Let's go on a bit of a journey. Well, James died in the year 62 AD. And therefore, he didn't have a chance to read Paul's letters like we do. So so he didn't have a chance, but he had an understanding of the gospel because he watched Jesus Christ at work. was his brother. So Paul, he was writing for Gentiles, meaning people who weren't Jews. James was writing to Jews around the world. Paul was protecting the Gentiles from Jewish legalism. I'm going to come on to that word in a bit which means they were saved by works of the law, following the law. Yet James was defending Gentiles from license, being free to do what you like, when you like. And sometimes we can look at the Bible and see these different contradictions played out. You're telling one person to do this over there, whilst you're telling another over here to do that thing. That's not right, that's not fair, that's not consistent. Well, imagine I split you guys up into two groups. You guys, you're going over to the leisure centre that way, that's where you want to go. You guys, you're going over to the high school that way, okay, and there's treasure somewhere in the middle of the town. If I gave you the exact same set of instructions, one of you is going to end up somewhere totally different. Go left here, go right there, go left there, go forward. You will end up somewhere. To- so I've got to give you. Two sets of instructions, a set of instructions for you over at the school, a set of instructions for you at the leisure centre to find the treasure. You've both got to walk your narrow road. You've both got to follow the instructions and the holy manual has been given to you. But there is a treasure at the end of it. And this is what's happening today. This is the same with James and Paul. They have different people at different points of travel in their life. But to keep them on the narrow road to eternity, they need to give them different directions. They need to keep them moving towards glory. And so to understand both James and Paul's idea of faith versus works throughout the entirety of Scripture, we need to understand where we have started, or where we have started in in order to see the deep truths of the Bible written in the authority of the Word. Now, I've mentioned that word legalism, I've mentioned license, but James talks about the law of liberty in chapter 1, verses 25. What does that mean? David Pawson explains it like this. Legalism says we're saved by works. Licence says we're saved without works. Liberty says we're saved for good works. And Paul agrees with this in Ephesians 2. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, as Nicky Gumbel from HTV would say it. So, legalism means you are not free to sin. The Galatians were stuck in legalism. And Paul wrote to them saying, Galatians 2, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by faith alone, but through Jesus Christ, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So that's how Paul wrote it to them. Licence says you are free to sin. Do whatever you want, whenever you want. And we we read uh, the church in Rome was stuck in license when Paul challenged them. In Romans six, he said, "Who who shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning, so that grace may increase a little?" Have you ever said that? I want to keep sinning. You know, I want to keep doing so I can experience the grace of God. Keep. probably that was me when I was younger. By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And liberty says, "I'm free, not to sin." John eight quotes Jesus saying, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And James writes in chapter one, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, but when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Free to do good works and steadfast to walk the narrow road. And yet there is still one more distinction we need to make between Paul and James. When Paul uses the word works, he is referring to works of the law. Earning your way into heaven. In this kind of negotiation deal with Jesus, I'm gonna do these things so that you can let me into that place over there. But when James says works, he means actions. That's the translation. So rewording verse 26, James saying, faith without actions is dead. That's what James is saying. Faith without actions is dead. So genuine faith produces good actions. Can we understand that? Have we gone on that journey? Do we agree with that so far? Okay, I'm glad, hopefully. Okay, so James now to help us in this journey. We've gone through a little bit of a a tour through the Bible to get to this point, to understand that James believes we need genuine faith produces good actions. He now gives us four quick stories to help us understand what that looks like. So, we're going to take a look at the two stories in verses 15 and 17, and 25 and 26. We see a rich man, a rich Christian man, compared to the prostitute named Rahab. The rich person has the chance to help Christian brothers and sisters, compared to Rahab, who was asked to hide spies. We see a rich Christian has faith that is much more like a remedy, much more like lip service. He was was restricted to just offering them kind hopes, good advice, comments like, eat well at your next meal, try and stay warm, go and do this thing. It was just lip service. And James calls his faith dead. A faith that is lip service is no faith at all. And yet Rahab, this woman who seems so unlikely to be a person of genuine faith uses her house, her resources, her ingenuity. He, she even gives up her personal safety to care for the people of God. James calls this a living faith. A genuine faith is acted out and willing to take personal risks. Church in Amsterdam, we've got to be willing to take personal risks. And James makes the point that both the rich Christian and Rahab are confronted with the people of God. They're both having to deal with the people of God. And if we aren't willing to care for our own family in here, how on earth can we care for our community? We're the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. What we do here will not be hidden. It's only going to shine the light of Jesus even greater in this town of Leinster. Spurgeon said... If you want to give a hungry man the gospel, give it to him in a sandwich. When we care and meet the needs of our community, the gateway for eternity opens. It is unlocked. The way is open for them to see Jesus. They have a chance to meet him. So don't be afraid to give each other the gospel in a sandwich, so that you can give a gospel in a sandwich to everyone else in the institute. Now, before Paige and I got married, I spent a year in South Africa doing some sports uh, ministry over there with someone called Beth Raj, Beth and Darby. you may know her, she's great. And one night me and Paige were walking around Cape Town and this young woman called Jade, who we didn't know at the time, came over to us and asked us to help her and help her daughter. She had no money, she had no food, she was very hungry. Now, the advice given to me when I first arrived in South Africa is do not help these guys. They're either lying to you, or they're trying to mug you, protect yourself, just move away from them. So I followed their advice really well and said, of course I'll help you, where should we go? She, she took us to a shop, and as soon as she got in, she was, she reached straight up to the top shop. And we know how it works, don't we, in shops, you know? The cheap stuff's down here, and the, the expensive stuff's up here, isn't it? So she of course, she goes to the expensive stuff, doesn't it? And I'm there going, oh. I don't have the money for this, Jade, what are you doing? And she's there getting nappies, like, hold on, I thought it was just food, what are you doing? I thought it was going to be a sandwich, she starts getting baby wipes, she goes around gets a big tub of coffee, and she's like, getting the goods, and I'm like, sure, I'm about to go, Jade, I haven't got the money, and I look over, and I see these eyes staring at me, they're Paige. Paige's eyes telling me, if you dare, tell her. To put any of that back, I will be on the next flight home. I'm like, oh! So whether or not it was the fear of the Lord or fear of Paige leaving me, I let the, I let the woman keep all of the food, and I paid for it. But I paid for it at a cost to myself. I paid a cost for Jade to have some food, and then I thought she would just walk off, and I was like, okay, well at least i have impressed Paige a little bit, right? At least you know she's, she she may be my wife one day, so this will be well worth it, right? And Jay turned to us, and she was about to walk off, and she said, why, why have you done that? And Paige said, we're Christians. So at this point, I should let let Paige do the talking. We're Christians, and we love to just share the, the love of Jesus. He's done so much for us. We like to do these things for you. And then Paige just said to her, is there anything else we could do for you this evening, Jay? Can we pray for you? And she pulled down her scarf, and there was this whacking great tumor on her neck. She said, "You could pray for this; it really hurts." And you could, she was like faintly talking, "You can, you can pray for this." You know. So we said, "Okay, we believe God can heal you." I'm thinking, mm, I'm not sure." Page, page, praise in the name of Jesus. Tumor be God in the name of Jesus. And there, then, we saw this lump visibly start to go down visible change and she goes I can I can swallow I've got no pain in my throat oh my what's just happened and Paige was like that's Jesus Jesus has just healed you Jade do you know Jesus as your friend and king she goes no and paige goes would you like to yes and there and then she gave her life to Jesus and I believe one day you're gonna see Jade in heaven. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Isn't that exciting? She became a king. She became a daughter of the living king. But the price was costly, but the reward was heavenly. That is faith with action. God is good. And don't we want stories like that here in Leinster? I pray for stories like that here in Leinster. Yesterday, uh, Rob, who I told you about, um, our church leader back in Attleborough, was walking the streets in Attleborough, and he came across two ladies, and he started talking to them. And he said, oh, I'm just from the church here in Attleboro, is there anything God can do for you? And they said, interesting, some two men last week spoke to us about Jesus in Norwich. And we've just been thinking this whole week about Jesus. And he said, well, would you like to know Jesus? And they said, yes. And there and then they gave their lives to Jesus. And I believe they're in Attleboro now, worshipping Jesus with our family. God is doing something powerful. Yeah. God is moving, and don't you want to be catching up with what he is doing, not far behind playing the game of like, oh, what's going on over there? I want to hear for you guys in Leinster to see the salvation of Jesus Christ in this town. Faith is costly. It is people-focused. It meets a need. It cares for others. It opens the door. It is the opportunity for people to meet Jesus personally. How incredible that God has given you that job. It's not my job, just only. It's not just Jason's job, or Ken and Leslie's, or Ash's job. It's your job. He's given you and equipped you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That you can have your own stories of Jesus breaking through. powerfully. Isn't that cool? You've been summoned into work. Let's work fruitfully. But there are two remaining stories about demons believing and shuddering in verse 19 compared to Abraham believing and being called a friend of God. Now, there is a faith that produces fear that paralyzes. And there is a faith that produces a genuine friendship with God. James uses the truth that demons believe God is one. And you can read this in Matthew 28. Even though demons believe this truth, they never move past their fear. They never move into that place of loving God. In Deuteronomy 6, it says the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. A true faith moves past fear and leads to an intimate, deep, satisfying love. And maybe today you know Jesus is true, but fear has gripped you fear has stopped you and held you back by saying in the name of jesus be free from that fear if there is fear holding you back by saying the name of jesus be gone you are free to love him you are free to be in his family you are free to be a son and daughter and he is so proud of you no matter what you've done you are his beloved children so demons they stay stuck in their fear of god yet abraham became a friend of god So how do we move past the barrier of fear and become a friend? So the story of Abraham shows he was justified, which means he was made right with God. That's what that big word means. By his works, when he offered his son as a sacrifice, his son Isaac as a sacrifice back to God. In Abraham, we see a genuine faith encourages you to act. Without faith, you cannot act. Acting in faith will grow you. And when you act in faith, God shows up, and guess what? He receives the glory. God promised Abraham a huge amount of descendants. You may have read that back in Genesis. As many as there are in the stars in the sky. That was his promise. As many of the grain of sands as there are will be your descendants. And so, Abraham knew this was impossible. Sarah was struggling to have a kid. It was impossible. And so, 11 years after God had given this promise to Abraham, his faith wavered. And he tried to fulfill God's promise by himself, by having a son with his servant, Hagar. And 14 years later, God finally, finally fulfilled his promise to Abraham and gave him this true heir, the true promise, the answer to the promise. Sometimes when we do things in our own strength, we don't get the full blessing of Jesus, right? You may have experienced that. Doing things in your own strength, rushing a thing, you don't get the experience of Jesus' glory in the same way. Later down the line, God finally gets the glory. And the promise of descendants that Abraham was given, the promise that he was given, relied on this one boy, Isaac. His whole life was, was down to this one boy. What's going to happen with this boy? And then God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham woke up early in the morning and he told his servants, stay here, as for me and my, me and the boy, we will go over there, we will worship, we will come back to you. Three times he used the word we, and yet after the second we should have been I will come back to you. We will go up the hill, we will worship, I will come back to you. But yet didn't Abraham say we, because he was a man of faith. His language, even before he got to that place, to that mountain, he was willing to do everything, and yet he knew by faith that God was going to do something miraculous. Therefore, we will come back to you. But Hebrews 11.19 shows us the mind of Abraham. He considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. And it's taken James in this moment to help us see something special in this story because the moment Abraham held a knife up high, the voice in the sky interrupted him. Now I know that you fear God. God did not need the process to validate Abraham because he was validated way early on, for he knows all things, but it is shown that it is needed. God came to the final decision about Abraham because of his faith and his actions. A true faith produces actions that are costly and obedient to the word of God. Just like the Chinese house church leader who took the the food on his sled and found the church leader who was dying and gave him the food, he had a faithfully, costly obedience. And James uses two people in these stories. Abraham, a major Bible figure. Rahab, a minor player. He uses Abraham, the father of the faithful. Rahab, a foreigner. He uses Abraham, who's respected. Rahab, who is shameful. Abraham, a man. Rahab, a woman. And this contrast can show you, no matter your story, no matter your past, No matter the shame you once carried, no matter the identity you have, nothing can hold you back from what God has for you when you act in prompt obedience. A faith that reaches out, a faith that cares for those in need, who are helpless and who are disregarded, it is a cost to yourself. That faith is life transforming, is eternity transforming. That's the faith that grows the church and makes it a beautiful city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, ultimately, a life of faith responds to the life of Jesus and his glory. For Jesus was the ultimate carer. He was the ultimate carer to the needy, to the vulnerable. He didn't let the crowds suffer with hunger. He touched the sick, he healed the diseased, He protected people's honour and their shame. He provided for them. Ultimately, he was obedient as a servant to God on the cross. He was obedient for us needy sinners as he gasped the last breath on the cross and said, it is finished. He emptied himself, he humbled himself through death on the cross. Therefore, a life of faith is really no different, or costly, or obedient and world transforming than that, the life of Jesus Christ. And so the name of the Christian is to be a mini-Christ. So this morning, let's humble ourselves, let's come back to obedience. It's your identity, joyful obedience, is the character of this church, generous outreach an outflow, supernatural overflow, Holy Spirit-led. So I'm sure so many of you have been given a prophetic message to be here, the prophetic foundation. I know some of you have, you've been called by God to come here, you're being obedient. I know some of you speak the name of Jesus Christ in your workplaces, you're being obedient. Some of you pray diligently for your friends, for your family, you're being obedient. Faithfully poured. Live in service to Jesus Christ and act in joyful obedience. Can I pray for us? Is that all right? If you'd like to stand, you feel as if you want to stand and feel free, and we'll just see what we're going to do. Oh heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we are here because your son is obedient. Thank you, Lord, we're here this morning because your son emptied himself on a cross. We are reminded this morning your son is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we want to live an identity that is like yours. Costly obedience to you. And Lord, we ask, would you humble us, give us humility, that we would build others up and put ourselves down before you? Would we, would we bow down at your cross? In the name of Jesus, Lord, as you've given dreams to each one of us here, would we even lay them down to you? Mm. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, any financial strongholds, any, any, any idols of mammon in the lives here would be gone in Jesus' name. Lord, we we want to be a church free from the love of money. So, Lord, I ask, where we love money too much in this room, would you cut it off us right now? I don't know if you may feel that's got something with you. Please, please stick around for some prayer because prayer is powerful to cut those things off. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, come now. Holy Spirit, come and fill your church to do radical and wonderful things. Lord, I pray for healings in this place. Lord, I pray for testimonies of salvation. I pray for, for testimonies of prophetic words given to the people of Lent so that they would come to know you. Lord, I pray, raise this church up. Raise this church until the light of Jesus Christ which shine for all to see and all to believe in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I, I, I just get this feeling as if someone is feeling like a real burden for a group of people like a marginalized group of people in this town and you really got you kind of just don't really know how to deal with that burden that you've been given is is anyone here feeling that amazing thank you so much is anyone else feeling that? No. can we just gather around us I, I don't know your name but you put your hand up at the back over there didn't you so if you could just just Lay our hands over there, just, just join around. Because we want to we empower people to serve Jesus Christ in the marginalized. So Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for an empowering name of Jesus to reach out and care for the needy, to care for the vulnerable, to care for the marginalized. Lord, you're, you're, you promised us that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. Yes. So Lord, where there is a broken heart here, Lord, I pray with that broken heart, go out and mend others. In the name of Jesus, it was in Jesus's broken heart that we were mended. So in the name of Jesus, mend the marginalized here in Leinster. Lord, in the name of Jesus, give visions, give dreams. Lord, I pray for a team of whatever you want to do, support. Lord, you haven't called us to do these things alone, but together. So Lord, where the spirit travels, would you go in power as well? In the name of Jesus, come Heavenly Father. Come Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, there's people here in Lempster that, that need your salvation that you, you send us to. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just wonder if there's anyone else here who, who feels they've like been really quite battered and have had some real hopes and dreams smashed, I think, like within the last month. Just within the last month, something really has changed the course of how things are going with you. Um, and you feel quite hopeless. I don't know if there's anyone here. If that's you, can you... Feel free to put your hand up if not. You can find us afterwards. Yeah. And I wonder if anyone's got any shoulder pain this morning, um, pain on their right shoulder. Norma. Who's this, sorry? Norma. Norma. Okay, well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for Norma. In the name of Jesus, healing in that right shoulder. Heavenly Father, let it be another testimony of your good news. Lord, a story of thankfulness that we can stay. We stood the other side of it and we prayed and you have moved in the name of Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I really, Can we just raise our voice? Because one of the, the, the psalms that was, that, were, that was read out over here was about God's faithfulness from generation to generation. Now I don't believe this church is going to be here for 10 years, for 20 years. It's going to be here for generation to generation. So can we just pray that God's church would be would be built here for the long term, way past us, that one day we're in heaven and can see the good work that God is doing in Lancaster. Can we just raise our voices for that together? Yes. Off you go, go for it. Yeah, Father, we ask this church, we ask generation to generation, the good news to be poured out in the name of Jesus Lord, salvation. Lord, we pray for the youngsters upstairs. Would they know your goodness? Would they know your heart? Would they know your love? Would they go on to be radical for you in the name of Jesus? Would they be obedient to you, Lord, and the foundation is built on your church? Lord, thank you. You are here for the long term. You love Leinster. You love what is going on here, Lord. And you will be here for years. So, Lord, bring in faithful saints. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, I Want to open up the floor if anyone else feels if there's anything else that God is saying and stirring. Um, I kind of want to be open for you guys to do that, but I know we're running quite late, so I don't know how it really works. Are you really free or, you know? So if, if anyone does feel as if there's something for us to kind of step into, then this is a moment for it, I think.